0: All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And all of those promises are sure in Him because He is one with the Father. We receive in Him every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. It's Ephesians one, verse three. In Him, and uh, because of Jesus's oneness with the Father all of those promises and all that he accomplished in his life are sure. If Jesus was not one with the Father, then we would not be reconciled to the Father. Colossians chapter 3 says that and you are with Christ. The wording is that we are with Christ in God. Listen to the surety of that. With Christ in God. In order for your salvation to become undone, the, the Trinity would have to be torn apart. This is how sure your salvation is and when jesus christ comes on earth he is bringing that peace that he has always had with the father from heaven down to earth and the characteristic of this kingdom is totally different than the characteristic the characteristics of the kingdoms of this earth. The characteristic of the kingdom of God, peace, security. As we will see, the shepherd, king of this kingdom, brings rest, goodness. He gives the characteristic of the kingdoms of this earth, this world, chaos, Unrest, anxiety, anger, take and grab, take and grab, take and grab, emptiness. And Jesus Christ is setting forth for us in John chapter 10 a comparison between the shepherd of the kingdom of God and all who came before him, which are thieves and robbers. Um, before I begin to read uh, chapter 10, just know this that the context is continuing from chapter 9. Okay? So he's in a conversation already when we get to chapter 10. The conversation is with regard to the situation of the blind man that was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. And putting it mildly, the Pharisees are pretty upset with him. In fact, at the end of this, they want to kill him. They want to stone him. They want to arrest him. To take him by force. A very important phrase that we're going to get to. Taking by force. Thieves, robbers, wolves. And so here he is giving life, sight, on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are upset with him. Let me uh, read the blind man that he had healed in chapter 9, verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And John chapter 3, this is the judgment. Men loved darkness rather than the light, and would not come to the light lest their evil works should be exposed. This is the same truth. Jesus Christ is light and he is in his teaching, in his works, he's revealing the glory of God and what the kingdom of God is like. And it is contrary to our natural intuitions. It's contrary to the natural intuitions and patterns of thinking of this world, whether you are a Pharisee or you are King Herod. Whether you're, you're of a religious camp or a secular camp, there is, those, it's of the world. They're fruit from the same tree, which is unbelief in the promise of God. It's unbelief in the goodness of God. And this is the distinctions that Jesus Christ is making. It all boils, it, the ways and patterns of thinking in this world are the way they are, because we believe the lie from the beginning. And the lie from the beginning has been the same ever since. The Pharisees think that they have knowledge, but they're ignorant. They would not come to the light. And Jesus is revealing to them, and by virtue to them, to us, the true knowledge of the Father. They would not come to him because they did not know the Father. And he's revealing to us the Father's ways. And he's overturning through this context. He's he's shedding light. He's making those who are blind be able to see. But if you think that you see, and you remain in your blindness. In other words, he's overturning the world's pattern of thinking. So, I want to be up front with what I see here and what I hope we will see here. The distinctions that Jesus Christ is making about the shepherd that God chooses. And what is it? I lay my life down for the sheep. I give. I'm not like the masters of this world. I'm not a hired hand. So let's read chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Whenever I first read this as a new believer, I had always thought that this was talking about, okay, I need to come through the door. That's what Jesus Christ says later. I need to come through. Through the way that God chooses and not try to climb in some other way, whether through my works of righteousness or trying to, uh, you know, say a prayer and then get heaven that way. But I need to come to Christ. But listen to the next verse. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is talking about himself. To him the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He's talking about those who would lead sheep. Okay? He's talking about his own shepherdhood. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Whenever it says that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way it's showing that Jesus Christ is not one to take by force but receives what the father gives him and this is the distinction that he's making between himself and others who are thieves and robbers who take by force who take the kingdom of god by force verse 6 jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things for which he had spoken to them verse 7 then jesus said to them again most assuredly i say to you i am the door of the sheep all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they have, may have it more abundantly. So Jesus Christ is talking about two different mindsets. The mindset of one that takes by force thieves and robbers. And the mindset of the kingdom of God, which is to receive If you try to enter into the sheepfold and and take the blessings of the sheepfold, which are security, being fed, comfort, finding pasture, you're a thief and a robber. If you try and take it by force, no, faith receives what is being given, not taking it by force. So he's talking about two different mindsets. The mindset of Christ, which is to receive all that is given from the Father. To Him, the doorkeeper opens. Keep reading. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is different than a thief and a robber. Thief and robber don't give, they take. This is is the distinction that Jesus Christ is making. Verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And I am known by my own. Okay. Here's, here's another distinction. And I, here I believe he's talking about ownership. There's a type of owner that hires out his work, right? The motivation for that hireling is to get paid. The owner doesn't have affiliation directly with the sheep, except probably to number them and make profit from them. Jesus Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me. Earlier on in verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. They're not just numbers. He knows them and he calls them by name. He names them. This ownership is that of tender care and love. He is the good shepherd. And he says, all who come before him are thieves and robbers. Let's keep reading. And all the sheep. verse. Let's go back to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. And all and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me. Okay, we don't have a statement like this in any other place in the New Testament. He's saying, this is the reason why my father loves me. This is huge. This is a huge statement and it's easy to just pass by it. But listen, therefore, my father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I receive from my father. And because of these statements, there was a division. There was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then Jew, the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So I hope you are hearing a huge contrast that Jesus Christ is making. And he's telling it to these Pharisees who don't have a clue about the nature of the kingdom of God. They're blind. They think they see, but they're actually blind. And he's showing them the the distinction between the nature of the kingdom of God and his chosen one and and the nature of the kingdoms of this world. And so it's not just that we hear, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But we are hearing the kind of voice that Jesus makes. The nature of the kingdom. The sheep know his voice and follow him because they know who their, sh- who their shepherd is. The shepherd feeds them, helps them, shelters them, is with them. He's relational towards them. He names them. He loves them. He cares for them. This is the voice that the sheep hear. They're hearing the gracious tone of his voice. But this is a stumbling block to those who think that they see in this world. This is a stumbling block to the Pharisees. What is it that accompanies his voice in all his speech? How is it that he is to be heard among all of their voices in this world? This is the contrast that he is making and it's found chiefly in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There's the distinction. Listen to the titles and the actions of the contrast. Thieves and robbers. The Good Shepherd. Steal, kill, destroy. I have come that they may have life. The hireling who is concerned about wages. The good shepherd that is concerned for his own to give them life. The hireling doesn't lay down his life when he sees the wolf coming. Jesus lays down his life. Do you do you see the contrast that Jesus is making? This is huge. And the force of it, I, I feel that we don't really feel. He is the one that gives life, not steals. He doesn't use for some other gain. There was no... Reason God had to get gain out of what Christ came to do. God doesn't need anything. It was all overflow of the enjoyment and love and peace of the Blessed Trinity. He came to give. There's nothing that God has to gain by us. There's no need in God. So he's not like the hireling. He's the kind of shepherd that goes out from the fold. He said, I have sheep not of this fold, and I must bring them also. What does that mean? Well, the fold is the place of safety. In the fold, there's security from the dangers of wolves. The dangers of the wilderness and the elements. And the fold you're taking care of. Well, he's saying that there's sheep out there in the wilderness where there are wolves and dangers. I must go and bring them also. He's the kind of shepherd that goes out into the wilderness even at the expense of himself and to experience danger himself. This is the kind of God we have. Even if there was 99 sheep and one missing, Jesus says in another parable, He goes and gets the one. He risks his life for one. This is the kind of king we have. This is the king that God chooses. This is the king that God delights in. This is the, the, the kind of shepherd that God chooses. If you will go to Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold... This is the servant that God chooses. And this is talking about Christ, His Son, His beloved Son. My chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon Him. In other words, what this servant is about to do, He's about to participate in the Father's will. He's about to do the Father's works, and that's, if you read later on in John chapter 10, that's exactly what evidence he's bringing to the Pharisees. If you don't believe me, believe the works themselves that you may know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He is filled with the Spirit of God, and does all of the Father's works. So what are the types of the Father's works? I will bring justice. I will bring forth justice to the Gentiles who live under oppressive rulership and injustice. He brings justice, which is another way of saying he delivers from injustice. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's not one to take by force. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He is gentle, he is meek, he is lowly. This is the nature of the shepherd that God chooses. And if it were any other way, guess what? You and I would not be saved. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he established justice in the earth. This is the one that God shares his glory with, as we read later on. Verse 8 in chapter 42 of Isaiah. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another. What that means is, my glory I do not give to any other except for this one my beloved, elect, chosen servant. Now, going back to John 10, is the way that I'm describing this fitting to the passage? Does the Father really delight in this shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep? That's exactly what we read. Therefore, my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life, that that I might take it up again. Listen to this in verse 15. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. What? Why is that in the same sentence? Think about it. What is Jesus communicating here in verse 15? I know the Father. The Father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus comes, he's the Son. He knows the Father. Right? When he comes, he's bringing that knowledge and making it known to us. In him, whenever we see his works and all that he says, his person is the revelation of the Father. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He is the glory of the... He is the image of the invisible God. He reveals to us the Father's glory. And He's saying, I know the Father. The Father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There is a correspondence here between Jesus laying down his life and the knowledge of the Father. In other words, he's revealing to us what the Father is like. He is revealing to us what he has always known the Father to be. Think about it. We see this association over and over and over again. Okay. For instance, Matthew 11. No one knows the Father except the Son, and the Son the Father, except anyone whom he chooses to reveal, right? Next verse, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He's revealing to us the Father. Whenever you see Jesus Christ communing with the Father, like, for instance, on top of a mountain, uh, one instance is after the feeding of the 5,000, and there He is on the mountain praying to the Father, alone with the Father, alone with the Father, up here. And there, down there, the disciples and tossed by the waves and the wind. And out from that communion... What does Jesus do? He goes down. There's a repetition here. Before he washes the disciples' feet, what does he say? He prays. Knowing all that he had with the Father, and all that the Father had given him, and knowing where he was going to be with the Father in glory... What does he do? He puts a towel on around his waist and he goes down. Before the cross, the night before the cross, he was knowing the Father in John 17. And also in his prayer, Nevertheless, thy will be done. In other words, Jesus was doing the will of the Father when he went to the cross. Here's another way of putting it. Jesus said that the Father is in him doing his works. That the Father is speaking through him. Whatever he hears the Father speak, he speaks. His meat and drink is to do the will of the Father. There is this mutual indwelling. And this is another teaching on the Trinity, but the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Everything that you see one person do, all of them are doing. Okay? So whenever the Son goes, guess what? The Father in Him does His works. What you see Jesus doing, you're seeing the works of the Father. You're seeing the ways of the Father. You're seeing the glory of the Father. And what is it that He does? Why is it called gospel? Why are the narrative of the life of Christ called gospel? Because it's good. It's good news. He's revealing to us that God gives. Okay? That's what he's revealing to us. This is what he has always known, hasn't he? The Father has always given life to the Son and loved the Son. When the Son comes, that's what He's bringing to this world. The only fitting response is to receive by faith and repent from old ways of thinking, old patterns, that are of this world. Last message, I introduced a thought about sin as taking and righteousness as giving. Well, let me be more specific. Sin is taking something that the Father is not giving to you. Okay? Okay? That's sin. In fact, I believe that you could see covetousness in every sin. Okay? Covetousness can be found in every sin. As you're trying to take something that you don't have, think about being impatient. You're disturbed or uncomfortable, and you got to quickly relieve it and get comfort. It's easy to see in stealing. It's easy to see in uh, gluttony. What about lust? You're taking something that's not given to you. In fact, look at the Ten Commandments. There's this commandment in the Ten Commandments that is repeated, it seems. Y'all know what it is? Thou shalt not... Covet, and thou shalt not steal. It's almost like, Lord, if, if, you, if there were ten, wouldn't you want there to be a little bit more variety? There's only ten. But that's misunderstanding the nature of these commands. Don't take a life and murder. Don't take another man's wife and commit adultery. Don't take, don't take, don't take, don't take, don't take. Why? If you read in Exodus, that, that the language is kind of like that. In fact, the, the, the rule for kings in Deuteronomy 17, before there even was a king in Israel, which foreshadows that there would be a king, what, what, what is it that the king should not do? What's the emphasis? don't take don't accumulate much gold and silver for yourselves don't take for yourself an army and chariots and and don't accumulate consume don't consume don't consume don't take don't take don't take or don't take wives yeah many wives for yourself And Israel, not having a king, really wanted it really bad. So what do they want to do? They want to take a king for themselves. Something that's not given them to them yet from the Father, from God. And what do they do? They make for themselves a king. They take it. And what is that king like? Altogether like them. One that takes and takes and takes. And that's exactly why that kingship ended with Saul. It's because he took. And Samuel had already warned the people of Israel of this in 1 Samuel 7 or 8, where he said to them, don't take for yourself a king, because this is what he will be like. He will take your sons and daughters. He will take your vineyards that you have planted. He will take. He will take. And it's like repeated over and over for like a whole paragraph. He will take. He will take. He will take. This, brothers and sisters, is the lie from the beginning. Go to Isaiah 14. It's a lie from the beginning. I I promise you, it's a lie from the beginning. Okay? And it mimics the nature of the evil one. Okay? Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. What an exalted title. Son of the morning. Think about what has been given to this one. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the further sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet... You shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. Okay? Now keep this in mind. Now go to Philippians 2. I will ascend. I will ascend. I will ascend. Do you hear taking by force there? Do you hear the arm of the flesh there? And this, brothers and sisters, is what accompanies every single sin. I promise I'm not being reductionistic. Okay. Now, let's listen to the righteousness and mind of Christ. Now, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, okay, There's the Spirit again. In other words, God's ways, God's will, God's fellowship. You could also read, if there is any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind, let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit. Okay? Let's go to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, the Son of God, who has always been co-equal with God God the Son did not think equality with God was something to be taken by force do you hear the contrast between Satan and Christ he was the Son he was the most exalted one from the Father always eternally before there is was anything created he didn't think equality with God was something to be stolen to be taken by force well then how did he have equality with God he has always been coming forth from the Father the Father has always been giving him life eternally so There's this freeness in the fellowship of the Trinity. The son didn't have to try and do something in order to make the father generate life or love him. He's always been coming forth from the father. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Satan, the lowest depths of Sheol for trying to take by force. And here we see one, the one who has always had fellowship with the father co-eternal, co-equal with God. Empty himself. And he is exalted above every name. What is being revealed in these things? Jesus is showing us God. Satan is not showing us God. Satan is anti-God. Jesus is showing us what God is like. The cross reveals to us the glory of God. That's John 12. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No, but for this hour I came. Father, glorify thy name. He's talking about the cross. And what is it that we peculiarly, specifically see in the cross? He emptied, he emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his Godness. He emptied himself. He gave himself. And so he was being to us what the Father has always been to him. He's being to us what the Father has always been to Him. And that's the language that we see in John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has given me words, so I also speak them to you. As the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. Father, the glory that you have given me, I also give unto them. Jesus is showing us the Father. He's being like his Father to us. He's giving life. Loving. This is the good shepherd that God chooses. And it's distinct from the all that came before him, which were thieves and robbers that take by force. And so in the saying of these things... There's going to be division. There's going to be those who hate what Jesus is saying. Because they will not come to the light. And this is the judgment. And so what do they want to do? They want to take him by force. But Jesus said this. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness could not, literally, the word is, take it by force. Couldn't. So what is Jesus Christ saying here? His giving of himself is not something to be taken but something to be received. And all of their taking to be putting him up on the cross, it was all unsuccessful for them. They were trying to put out the light, but it only made the light shine brighter. In other words, he was using their taking him by force to glorify his self-giving. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I give it. So, the lie from the beginning, what we see in Adam, he thought he believed a lie. He thought equality with God was something to be grasped. No, for if you eat of it, he knows that you shall be like him, knowing good from evil. So what was Adam and Eve going to do? Take it. Not realizing that they were made in the image of God. Not realizing the potential for which they have with God in the fellowship of the Blessed Trinity. Something that... Creation, nothing else in creation knows. I'm telling you, the gospel really is gospel. And all sin comes forth from this, not believing the promise, not receiving. That's what it was, that's what idolatry is. All throughout the Old Testament, it's the same. The righteous ones and the saints of the Old Testament were the ones who believed the promise. And we're looking for the one who was to come, the promise, the promised seed. And so Jesus says, therefore the father loves me. I lay down my life for the sheep. I laid down my life that I might take it up again. He's showing us the very character of this kingdom and the mindset of this kingdom which is not to grab and take, but to give. And whenever you are affected by the shepherd, guess what it happens to you? You don't feel needy and graspy, even though you're in the midst of trial and tribulation, when things are being stripped from you. And in this world, you shall have tribulation. Guess what? In this fallen, broken world and world of grab and take, where there is sin, there is suffering. There's things taken. And so guess what? When you have this shepherd, there is a consolation in your soul when you're, that you're able to give even in the midst of things being stripped from you. There's so much more here, but I can't keep going. I hope that something a bit of this reality is, has been impressed upon you. Let's pray.